We're starting a new series, a series uh, here for the month of November, a series that we're calling Why Me? And uh, I think it's something that will minister to a lot of people today uh, in our world, in our culture. Uh, Several weeks ago, Pastor Ben and myself and Pastor Mike from Chi Alpha, uh, we were at a silent prayer retreat, and I know that that may be difficult for you to envision me being at a 48-hour silent prayer retreat, Um, but this retreat is so serious uh, that we're told not to look at each other in the face. Um, We're told to slow our walk way down. Now, I know I'm short, but I walk fast, okay? That's very difficult for me. Um, I did get in trouble uh, while I was there. Um, I was told that I I was not respecting the code of silence um, by um, one of our former staff pastors, uh, Preston Tippin, because his wife Amy was there, and once at the salad bar, I sort of leaned in and sort of, you know, acted like I didn't see her, but like I was pushing her out of the way, and, and then uh, right before I had to leave, I, I put my arm around her, and I just told her that we loved her, and uh, so I, I got in trouble for stuff like that, so things haven't changed since I was in school, so... <clears throat> Uh, But today, uh, coming, and I I share that with you because um, the theme of our our silent prayer retreat was suffering. I'm going to ask you this question. When something tragic happens in your life, how do you respond? How do you respond? When it comes to you and God... How do you respond to him? Have you ever asked God, why me? Why me? Today I want to look at this man named Job. And Job is pretty popular. In fact, most people in our culture today would even say they've heard of him without maybe knowing his story because we, we would attribute someone who has incredible patience as having the patience of Job. But Job, let me share a little of his story with you. Job was what the Bible calls a blameless man, a man who was upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil. In fact, Job was someone that was not only just popular, just not only well-known, but but this guy, was he was a wealthy man. Um, In our culture, we don't measure Uh, your wealth by how many children you have, but there are some cultures that do. And so I have some friends that that have like 8, 10, 12 kids, and they would be wealthy people, you know, because of how many children they had. Job had seven sons and three daughters. The Bible says that he had 7,000 sheep. They had 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and many servants. He was considered to be the greatest man, not in his community, not in his county, but among the people in the east, okay? That's a pretty significant uh, number of people. And so that's what the Bible tells us of him. Job even intercedes for his children. Some of you can identify with this, but, but, but literally Job would intercede for his children in case they had sinned. 
He loved his family. He loved God. And one day, Satan shows up. And he shows up before God in heaven. And I don't understand this, okay? My theology, uh, I, I don't understand if God is truth and God is life and, and God is light and, and he is all of those things and, and sin can't enter into his presence. I don't understand how Satan was able to enter into God's presence, but it says that as the angels were coming into God's presence that Satan came with them and he entered into God's presence. And God asks him, a question that only a lawyer would ask because a lawyer only asks questions that he already knows the answer to. And he says to Satan, what you been up to? God already knew it, but he asked the question. And the Bible says that that Satan's response was this, that I've been searching the entire earth. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because the Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion roaming around looking for those that he can devour. The Bible says that Satan is, is a, literally, he, is, he steals, kills, and destroys. That is his purpose. And so Satan has, has admitted to God, and I suppose that he would have to in the presence of God, admitting the truth that he has been looking around the earth for those that he can devour, those that he can steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. That's what he was doing. And God said something at that point that I think that is an amazing thing. He said, have you considered my servant Job. I want you to think about that. Satan said, well, God, I know you think all these great things about Job, but think with me just for a moment. God, you've protected everything that he has. You've, you've protected himself, you've protected his family, you've protected his possessions. In fact, God, you've made Job wealthy. You protect everything that he has. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a younger man and I began to have a family and we had said yes to the Lord in ministry, I can remember saying, okay, Lord, I had a little side, little side deal with the Lord. Have you ever had a side deal with the Lord? Do you know what a side deal with the Lord? It's, it's outside the parameters of Scripture. That's, that's just what I'm saying, okay? I, I, just confess it right now in Jesus' name. I had a side, I had a side deal with the Lord. I, and, and so I said, Lord, I will do this ministry thing. I will, give, I will give myself for the rest of my life to do what you've called me to do. Just take care of my family. Just protect my family. Eventually, I realized that there are no side deals, okay? And that, that God doesn't do that. But yet we read that Satan said, God, you protected, you've protected everything about him. In fact, if you will turn on the things that he has, if you will raise your hand, if you will no longer protect him, I'm going to guarantee you he will curse God. Now, at that point, 
if I were Job, I would have wanted God to say, that's really not necessary. (laughs) But think about it. God said, okay, I'm going to let you mess with everything that he has, okay? Everything that he's got, but you cannot touch the man Job. You can't touch him himself, just everything that he has. And the, I, I, as, I, as I read this in scripture, I, it doesn't say this, but I'm interpreting from the Hebrew. I think that there, there's some verb that's gotta be there that Satan literally skipped out of the presence of God, whistling to himself because he was so excited because now he is going to attack Job. I want you to think about this for just a moment. So Satan leaves God's presence and and literally just moments, we're not given an exact thing, but I imagine it as, as taking no time at all. The first messenger comes to Job and this messenger was a servant. And that messenger says to Job, he said the Sabaeans attacked and they took the oxen, the donkeys, they killed all of your servants that were there. I'm literally, I'm the only one that survived. And while they're still talking, messenger number two comes up and he says this, fire fell from the sky and burned up all your sheep and all your servants and I'm the only one that has survived. This is not turning out to be a good day. The, sec- the third messenger comes and says, the Chaldeans have attacked. They've taken all of your camels. And in fact, I'm the only one that killed your servants. I'm the only one that has survived. And then finally, messenger number four comes. And I think it's interesting that we start with the Sabaeans. We move to the fire. We go to the Chaldeans and now a mighty wind has collapsed the house where his adult children were gathered celebrating together and none of them survived. I want you to just let that sink in for a moment that Job was considered the greatest man among the people of the East, a man of wealth, a man of position, a man who feared God, a man who shunned evil, and within a matter of one conversation, everything that he had was destroyed. Everything. His children, his wealth, his possessions, his income. He now had nothing. Job chapter 1, starting at verse 20, it says, at this, Job got up. I imagine you'd fall to the floor. He got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In your mind's eye, I want you to see again that one more time, Satan enters God's presence and appears before him. 
Once once again, God says, Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? See, now this has got more meaning. Because now Satan has attacked him and taken everything that he can. His his possessions, his income, his family, everything that he has. God says, have you noticed my servant Job? Job. There's no one like him. He's blameless. He fears God. He shuns evil and he has maintained his integrity in all of this. You convinced me to raise my hand against him for no good reason and he still maintains his integrity before me. Satan says, man, people will do anything to save themselves. If you'll just Raise your hand against him physically. If you'll, just, if you'll just strike him physically, remove your protection from him, I'm going to tell you, he will curse God. If I were Job, I would want God to say, I think that's enough. But God said, okay, you can do that. But you cannot Take his life. So Satan leaves God's presence and he inflicts Job with painful sores from head to toe. Now, I am, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But I've heard that boils are some of the most painful things that you can experience. He was covered from head to toe. And the Bible says that we see him sitting in a pile of ash. I'm not sure, I'm not sure other than a symbol of mourning what that pile of ash would have been, uh, what the significance is. But we see him there and he is scraping those sores with a piece of broken pottery. In chapter 7 of Job, it tells us that he was literally covered with worms and scabs, and that his skin was broken and festering. Enter wife. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes the people that are closest to you, the people that love you the most, will be used sometimes to speak, as it were, a discouragement that, that seems like it must be from the enemy himself. And she says to him, Have you maintained your integrity? Why not curse God and die? Job didn't get angry. I really applaud him for that. He says to to his wife, he said, should we accept the good things that come from God but not trouble? In all this, the Bible says that he didn't sin. Over the next 34 chapters, we see the conversation that he has with some of his friends. These friends of his have suggested, Job, there there must be some hidden sin in your life to cause this kind of suffering. And Job's response to them was this, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. What a perspective. Today I want to look at three things that we can do in our lives to learn from Job when we go through times of suffering. The first one is this. Put yourself in Job's shoes. 
Imagine losing everything. Possessions, wealth, income, children. Imagine losing it all with a, within a moment. You're minding your own business. You're loving Jesus. You're working hard. You're serving your family. And wham, out of nowhere, your world falls apart. How would you respond? Would you post it on Facebook asking for prayers? Would you call someone who's more spiritual than yourself in your estimation and ask them to pray? Would you complain to anyone who's willing to listen? Will you get alone with God and yell? That's a good one. What will you do? Will you search the nooks and crannies of your life to see what what might have been missed? You see, some things in our lives happen because of our own actions, and some things happen purely what would appear to be randomly. Job's testing, there, there, was, there was not attributable to anything that he had done. Literally, he was considered blameless. He was upright before God. In other words, it was God who initiated this time of testing. God allowed it to happen. We could even say it was his idea. God had to go along with it. And I think there's something there for us today that when we cannot attribute what is happening to us, the trial or the tribulation to our own actions, we have to say somehow this has gone through God. And in order for us to get to this place, it had to cross his desk first. It'd be nice to have God brag on you, wouldn't it? Would you like that? I, that, that think about that. God bragged on Job. In this situation, I'd say, Lord, let's just step it back just a smidge, okay? Because that, that kind of bragging that God did released a whole bunch of stuff on Job that I think would be difficult for any of us. Job said, I came into this world with nothing. I'll leave with nothing. He acknowledged, I mentioned this as I prayed earlier, he literally acknowledged that everything that he had, past tense, everything that he had, was God's. And so to have nothing was no change. That was all God's. He gave it all to me. Now I have nothing. I'm in the same shape I was when I came into the world. I came into the world with nothing. I'll leave the world with nothing. I've got nothing to complain about. I don't think that's how most of us would look at it. I think we would complain. But he acknowledged that everything that he lost was God's. He actually praised God in the midst of this incredible tragedy that he suffered, and at no point did he accuse God of anything that was wrong. That would have been a sin for him to do, but but he didn't do it. He stayed away from that. As we look into the New Testament in John's Gospel, we read, that the disciples were going along and they came upon a blind man who was begging and the disciples asked Jesus a question. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Indicating that they drew a direct correlation between a disease or a tragedy or some trial and sin. 
But Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 3, he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be on display. Did you ever realize that some of the things that we go through in life that cannot be attributed to a mistake or, or some sin in our life, do you realize that those things may be there just so that God may receive the glory when we go through it? That's tough. That's difficult. That is challenging. And as I, as I speak to you today, I know that there is suffering within the sound of my voice. There are those that say, God, if you could only take it away. And God is saying, but I'm going to be glorified in the midst of this suffering. See, as humans, we sort of need that connection between suffering and mistakes or sin because without it it just seems like it's unfair and it would be so much easier for us to accept Job's suffering or even our own if we could see some correlation between sin and the tribulation that's happened the suffering that's gone on I'm going to tell you just like with Job Satan wants you to curse God when you are broken, when you have been devastated by the news of messenger after messenger and your day has gone from, from a good day to not just a bad day, but a day that you literally wish had never happened, Satan wants you to curse God. He wants you to blame God for everything that has happened. Satan wanted to shake Job's faith and Job's confidence in God. He wants to shake your confidence that you would believe that God really doesn't care, that God is really not paying attention. But Job's response in the face of this tragedy was to worship. It was to praise God. Psalm chapter 84, verses 10 and 11, the psalmist says this, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. In other words, a, a lowly position. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If you were to imagine the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your life, the loss of income, the loss of resources, the loss of possessions, family, health, those things would be right up there at the top of being the worst things that could ever happen to you in your life. And yet, Job never lost his integrity with God. The second thing that I think that that we can look at that's really going to help us as we look at Job's life and learn from his suffering is to ask ourselves the question, who am I? Who are you? Did you know that God asked that question to Job? 
Who are you? Job never cursed God, but he did curse the day that he was born. The scripture says that, that he, was, he was so broken that he wished the day that he was born literally did not occur on the calendar. My Uncle Bob was born on February 29th. So he only gets a birthday every four years. Because his birthday isn't on the calendar those other years. Job wished that the day he was born did not even appear on the calendar. He wished that he had died at birth. I can't think of anything more heartbreaking that someone could experience than the loss of, a, of an infant, the loss of a baby at birth. Job said, I wish... I wish that I had died at birth. I wish that they had, had buried me in the ground because at least there I would have peace. This conversation that Job has over the next 35 chapters with his closest friends, man, Job literally says to God while they're giving him advice and counsel, he said, God, why did you make me a target? Job felt like there was a big target on his back and that the, the arrows of life were just crushing him time after time. And finally the Bible says that God answered him from the midst of his storm. And what he said to Job was this, Who are you? He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who are you? Were you there with me when I did that? Job, have you ever caused the dawn to rise in the east? This morning on the way down 480, just a, just a strip of just gold as the sunrise started to come up. God said, Job, were you there? Do you cause that to happen? Who are you? He said, Job, do you know, do you even know where the gates of death are? are located? Job, have you ever visited the storehouses of snow? Job didn't know that God was talking about the UP. <laughs> this is the storehouse of the snows of God. Job, can you, can you direct, not track, okay? Not name, but can you direct the movement of the stars? Can you do that, Job? Can you cause the lightning to strike as you direct? Job, can you do that? Who are you, Job? God says this. He said, but of course, you know all this because you're so experienced. Who are you, Job? Who are you? Tell me if you know so much. I imagine that Job smarted an awful lot after God's response. I imagine that he felt like he'd been put in his place. Pastor Chuck Swindoll said this, the core message of the entire book 
of Job is that Job's whole story is about coming to an understanding that God's plans are beyond our understanding and are too deep to explain. And we say, God, why me? And God says, who are you? Who are you that you would question me, the one who makes the sun to come up in the east? God speaks in the midst of our storm. And I think that he tells us we're asking the wrong question. You see, we say, God, why am I always so sick? God, why do I have cancer? God, why are my kids so strong-willed and they'll do nothing that I tell them to do? God, why is my spouse so difficult? God, why don't I make enough money? Why, why, why? Why me, God? He speaks to us in our storm and he says, you know what, you're asking the wrong question. It's not why me, it's who am I? Who am I compared to the God who spoke and the universe came into being? Who am I? Philip Yancey renders God's word, the words of God's response like this. Until you can offer lessons on how to make the sun come up each day or where to scatter the lightning bolts or how to design a hippopotamus, don't judge how I run the world. Shut up and listen. It's a great response. Psalm chapter 8, the psalmist says this, When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you take care of them. James tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You say, how is this possible? Simple. His ways are higher than ours. The question is not why me, but who am I? And thirdly, we need to realize that God is there. Job could not see behind the scenes in order to see what God was up to the same way that we can't do it. I have to admit it in my mind. I keep seeing that scene um, fr from... Um, from the, the Wizard of Oz where the guy's working the controls behind the, the curtain and he said, ignore the man behind the curtain. We want to see behind the curtain. We want to see what God is up to. We want to see what God is doing. It'd be easier to endure our suffering if we could see beyond the curtain. We think that the greatest aspect of the gospel is that we would understand that, that Jesus died for us. We think that the greatest aspect of the gospel is that God so loved the world. But the greatest aspect of the gospel is this, is this. God is there. In the midst of your trial, God is there. And He is in control. We may not understand it, but He's there. Think about the worst thing that ever happened in your life. Can you see God's involvement in it? I would say that if you step back and you look at it and you ask God, God, what 
happened in my life as a result of this, you will see the hand of God. You will see that he taught you things, that he led you places, that he brought things into your life that you never would have had without that tragedy in your life. Think about the best thing that ever happened in your life. Let me ask you this. Can you see that happening in your life apart from the hand of God? Because if you do, you need to look at the scriptures. Because every good gift comes from above, comes from the Father. His presence is there with you the same, whether you go through the tragedy in life or whether you experience the greatest blessing in life, His presence is there with you in both of those. But the difference is us. We're on the bottom with one and we're on the top with the other. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. His blessing can be seen just as clearly in, in the tribulation, in the suffering, as in the time of blessing. Job experienced incredible suffering. Maybe you're going through a time of suffering right now in your life. I want to tell you without, with, without question, I know that I'm right when I say this, that Satan is trying to shake your faith. He is trying to get you to curse God. The God that we serve is like no other God. I want you to imagine the power that our God possesses the power that he has. And the Bible says he withholds no good thing from us. His power is there. It is available for us in the midst of the time of suffering that we may be enduring. He's present in the greatest sorrow. He's there with the greatest joy. And today you might be asking, why me, God? There's no apparent reason. Simply know this, that his ways are higher than ours. And consider Job.